Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. On episode 50 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, myself, Adam, Jeremiah, Lou, and Scott are all back, and we're talking about West Ham's back-to-back wins against Bournemouth and Gillingham in the FA Cup. We then talk about all of the latest West Ham transfer links, including Darren Randolph's double dip at West Ham and the potential move for Genson Fernandez. Keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. All right, welcome back to the Green Street Hammers podcast. It is the grand episode 50 for us. The first real milestone, maybe the 10th episode was a milestone too, but episode 50 is a little bit important, I guess. Uh, Happy 2020, happy new year, happy everything. Uh, We are back. We're on the bounce with two wins for West Ham right now, and we have a pretty packed house today. Uh, We have, uh, as usual, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, how is Colorado treating you? Dude, Colorado is nice. We got like... uh... 50, 60 degrees today, so it's, it's, it's pretty good. I don't know. You're gonna do the calculation for me to tell me uh, what it is. Otherwise, I have too yeah. many windows open to, to go metric to whatever you guys use. So yeah, uh, it's it's balmy in Toronto as well right now. We're supposed to get lots of rain over the weekend, which is weird for January. But anyways, uh, Scott down in Australia, how you doing, Scott? Yep, good. Trying to not to breathe in all the smoke, but apart from that, going well. Okay, that sounds easy enough. Yeah, just the atmosphere that's coming to get you down there. That sucks. Uh, and Lou, uh, over in bloody old England, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Very good. Perfect. All right, well, yeah. uh, it seems fitting that the 50th episode is uh, a Green Street Hammers packed house. Uh, we're only missing a few people on here, so... Uh, it's good to be back with all the guys here, and we've got plenty to talk about, most notably transfers, because it is the January transfer window. Um, but before we get into the latest, hottest news and trends and everything, and as we're recording this, the West Ham Way podcast has just dropped, so all of that information is coming out uh, from X and Dave there. So we'll be updating that as we go along, commenting on it more than anything. But first, we have a couple wins to talk about first. Uh, David Moyes' first match for West Ham. We haven't talked since then. Uh, Bournemouth came to the London Stadium, and West Ham looked like, I don't know, the best West Ham side I've seen in, in a long time. Jeremiah, initial thoughts that the team came out. It wasn't a three at the back. It wasn't all that different from a Manuel Pellegrini pick team. 
what was the difference in your eyes uh, overall in that match uh, compared to when Pellegrini was running the show? I think initially thoughts look at when you're right. When I first saw it, I'm like, well, nothing really looks any different. And, and I guess my initial thought was, well, maybe he's just going to run it that way because that's the way they've been used to playing it. But clearly, once you saw the match kind of take place, you saw how Anderson was kind of playing more off of Allaire, playing more in that 10 role, but maybe up closer. I don't really know. There's a lot of debates about where exactly he was playing at. But the initial thoughts were that. But then once you saw how that was kind of panning out, it uh, it got a little more exciting and. And obviously, we know how the rest goes. But yeah, that, that was initially kind of it, and it's been good to see too. Scott, uh, looking back at that win, there was monumental, the biggest since November of 2017, I believe, for West Ham. Was there a new manager bump in that performance that you saw from West Ham? I think there's always going to be some kind of, you know, uptick in people's effort. You know, they're trying to impress someone else. They've got new training drills, this kind of thing. It's just going to be a little. So, yeah, you're right, a bump. But I think the biggest thing was Moyes just seemed to, well, either the Moyes told them to do this or the players just reverted to type because they just did what they do best and focused on it. Like We got Anderson actually, for his goal, finally dribbled at someone. He actually went first touch, knock it past him, and I'm gone. We haven't seen him do that all season. Uh, and, I mean, we signed Allaire for $45 million in the summer. And after the first few games, we weren't getting the ball into him. And then suddenly, that, this game was just full of crosses. There was Fornells and Snodgrass were getting to the byline in the penalty area, just able to knock balls back into dangerous areas. And that was just such a relief. I mean, obviously, it was really nice to see Anderson or Moyes try something different with Anderson sort of closer to Allet, which gave him a little bit more to work with. But yeah, I think, uh, to be honest, the players actually... Just did what they did well. Fornals is great, growing into it all, and yeah, there we go. I think a new manager uptick or player player bounce away from a manager they didn't particularly like towards the end, maybe. Yeah, it was certainly refreshing to see, just based off of the effort levels alone. Like they they wanted it. There was a little bit more bite in the performance there. Everyone was closing their 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 marks down a little bit quicker, and uh, it just seemed more inspired all over the fact there. Uh, all right, Lou. Uh, I- it's tough to, to pinpoint one person because the team played so well, but we'll take Mark Noble out of the equation. He had two goals in the match, of course, and, and, and you know one came by penalty. Whether it was a penalty or not is for later discussion. But uh, who would you say was the most impressive performer outside of Mark Noble for the Hammers in that match? Uh, well, I actually did the ratings uh, for the Green Street Hammers for this game, and I can't even remember who put the highest, so I might contradict myself. Um <laughs> But I'll say, I'll go with Anderson, to be honest, just based on the fact that we've not seen that kind of performance uh, that he's capable of too often this season. I can only think of Norwich at home, where he put on like a dazzling display, as as uh, he did in this game as well against Bournemouth. Obviously, his first goal of the season. He's contributed a few assists, but that's his you know, first goal. I think it's good that he got that like do off his back and I was just willing for him to score because I think uh, he missed a really good opportunity literally about two minutes before his goal and I was like damn that might be it for this game he may have to wait another game but uh, you know credit to him he stuck at it and after you know a wonderful left footed cross field pass from Declan Rice he took took the ball really well and uh to be honest, when he was approaching goal, I wasn't the most confident. 
obviously because of the form he found himself in, but he managed to just slide it under the keeper, you know, and uh, rounded off a great performance from him and the team. It's kind of funny. He always seems to, I don't, I don't want to say make it more difficult than it has to be, but he, he waits certainly till the last second to pull the trigger because he's in alone on goal. He has the fullback going around him the far side, the ball on the other side. He could have easily just popped it over the keeper, but he takes an extra step with it and tucks it under Ramsdale's arm. And you're thinking like, there couldn't have been another second wasted on running towards the keeper, and somehow he manages to squeeze the ball in. But of course, uh, when you're trying to kick a kick a goalless drought there or goal contribution drought there, it's nice that uh, that he got the goal in the end. So I'm I'm sure we're all happy with that. And and like you said, uh, you know, there's no one that sticks out as the clear uh, odds-on favorite leader from that game because it was such a cohesive performance from the team. I thought Angelo Ogbonna was unbelievable. Pablo Fornals looked great. Uh, Ryan Fredericks had an unbelievable game, and we'll get to the recent news on him, which sucks. But uh, but you know he he looked really good going up and down the wing, uh, and it was just nice to see the team playing together as a unit. Declan Rice never gets the credit he deserves, but everyone's uh, rightfully gassing him up for that for that pass that he had on his left foot. So uh, it was all positives there. Uh, Bournemouth are not a team that was on really good form heading into this match, and, and Scott, I want to ask you this. Do you take anything away from West Ham's win in this match? I tend to pull back on it because West Ham were in as bad or worse form than Bournemouth, and they made that manager change. He said, Moy said he only had one and a half sessions of training with the team before going into this game. So you could even say, despite the fresh face, the team was more unsettled than they were under Pellegrini. So uh, do you do you think that you know as bad as Bournemouth are? Do you think that takes away from the win West Ham had? Obviously, you have to take in like the form of the other team because, and it is only one match for West Ham, so I will. Sorry, I've, I've stayed clear of saying Moyes is a genius. He's come out and done all this. He's brilliant. It's you have to go. Okay, look, he's only had a session and a half. He picked the team, but the players, the players played well, and that's a, that's that's a promising thing. I think that's what you can take away from it is that if he hasn't had that long with them. This is the natural state of the players. This is where the players should be and should have been for the last season. But we'd seen like this fall off under Pellegrini. Um, obviously, Bournemouth are in a bad way, and they've been through these like form dips before. I think this is one of the worst they've had in recent times, though. But they've gone up and down, and they, they're a very streaky side. They don't have the wage budget that a lot of other teams do, so they kind of have a squad issue in terms of consistency so yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to the next one because i say Moyes backed it up with a cup win so yeah so far full marks to him i can't uh can't take anything away there but there's still a lot to prove completely agree uh also another quick question for you here scott you were of the uh group of myself as well uh, that was uh pellegrini out how in are you backpedaling on how coming in now that uh, we've seen maybe his his uh, I don't want to say true colors, but the, you know the shine sort of wear off on him a bit. Uh, I think if you judge any manager by their worst streak, then their manager is going to look good. Um, obviously, it's not always a good time to pick a manager when they're on a bad run because you know they're looking to correct a lot or they're just a down in confidence. So maybe we have dodged a bullet by not bringing him in right now uh, I still think he's a good manager I still think he's got a bright future ahead of him 
but so every single manager in the Premier League has had a rough spell at some point, and there will be people like claiming that Ferguson isn't a great manager if you look at his worst runs, or you looking at Mourinho and this kind of thing. So we'll judge every manager at the end of their career. Um, how right now he's going through a bad time, but I think he's gonna he's gonna do well in the future, and he'll he'll be picked up by another club soon. Well, you brought up the win, uh, the cup win, and we'll move on to that. Uh, Lou, I want to get your thoughts on how the team was set up. They came out with a three at the back and two wing back formation with Mazuaku and uh, Ryan Fredericks playing uh, really out wide on that one. Um, this is a formation we got used to with uh, David Moyes in his last in with the club. That was more based out of necessity. He was trying not to lose games rather than win them. This one was a bit more attacking-minded. The players suited that system better anyways that he has currently uh, than he did at his first stint. So it was a little bit more balanced, I would say, and something we were probably expecting a little bit more. Uh, was it positive for you to see him switch formations so soon, or would you rather have seen him keep to that four at the back that he started with and also you know, maybe provide a little more stability by staying the same? Yeah, no, I think you've just got to go with the opposition really and you've got to be top manager managers are flexible in what formation they go with when you look at Pep Guardiola tonight away at Man United he's playing with no striker at the minute <laughs> so so and it's clearly working as a 3-1 up so you've just got to go with you know who your opposition is and combat the you know strengths and match up to them but in terms of was against Gillingham. They put a lot on a lot of balls into the box over, you know, the ninety minutes, and our three centre backs together dealt with them really well. And I think that was the idea and thinking behind it, because maybe if we only had two defenders, as in Balbuena and Agbona, maybe they would have had more chances, more headers at goal, and obviously more opportunities to score, which is. You know where we've come unstuck, unstuck in the past in these kind of games, such as Wimbledon last year, and uh, you know Oxford earlier in the season. So we dealt with that uh, that style of play well, and I'm quite curious to see whether he will change it as we head to Sheffield United, because obviously they play with wing backs and three centre backs. So I'm curious to see whether we'll you know, match up to them in that regard or we'll revert back to two in the back which works so well against Bournemouth but uh, obviously with uh, Zabaleta probably playing I would I would look to you know be going you know with three defenders behind him to, you know to protect his lack of pace because I think they did that really well on on Sunday as well against Gillingham in terms of obviously the wing backs were pushing further up and uh, every time that they did so and Gillingham attacked we had three players ready to block any potential you know offensive offensive runs by their players so overall yeah it, it was a it was a good move I thought I completely agree and I think what you said first is most important they're they're really planning on what the opposition plays like to dictate their formation, or at least it seems like that's going to be the the go-to plan. So I, I respect that and I appreciate that because that's something we didn't see. And 
Jeremiah, I know you and I had talked about this in the past, the preparation from Pellegrini for his opposition and maybe the lack thereof that's more important. Um, Declan Rice came out after the game against Gillingham and said, um, and don't quote me here, but it's I'm paraphrasing, basically we did our homework on them, we knew how they were going to set up, we knew how they were going to attack, Moyes prepared us for that, and we went out there, you know, weathered the storm, and eventually got a result and again that's not a direct quote but that's the basic gist of it do you think that that was maybe a little shot at Pellegrini who notoriously hasn't been preparing for his opposition as much as you know the Premier League would suggest you need to I mean maybe I think it's definitely uh they you know the players they know exactly what's going on they're they're on Twitter they see the comments they know the news they hear everything going on and that, that was a big thing like you said with Pellegrini was that he didn't necessarily maybe plan and prepare. And I've seen a lot of things come out that, you know, if Pellegrini was managing that match that we would have lost. Uh, yeah. Quite quite possibly. And, and you're absolutely right. There was that comment and then paraphrasing on Noble too, just talking about Moyes and how Moyes can come in and, and Moyes, he'll tell you what, what you're doing wrong or what you're doing right. And he might tell you that you suck, but he's not going to make you feel bad about it. And um, I just think that those two different ideas right there are really – Kind of watch change things around. Uh, obviously, planning for planning and planning for 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 Gillingham or Gillingham or or you know, excuse me for not saying it right, but uh, <laughs> yeah, if for those two, play for that planning for that match. Even though yes, it is an FA Cup and you should plan up. A lot of times you might see teams kind of like, well, we're Premier League, we're playing a League One, and that's happened to West Ham a lot. And the fact that they came out and they knew exactly who they were playing and. They went to a different formation, and they came out and they played well in that formation. And even at the very beginning, it, it looked sloppy and it looked a little rough. They didn't kind of give up on it; they kept going and kept pushing. And that was that. That to me, seeing that, seeing that kind of heart from the players, and probably having a lot to do with who is managing that whole role, has been the big change for so far. The performance wasn't all that um, impressive. Actually, the first half was no. a little bit concerning. Uh, just based off of how hard the opposition was push, pushing, but professional in the second half. And I think that's always the way it's it's going to go and has gone traditionally in these tournaments with, with uh, lower division teams is that you know they push really hard to try and get something immediately. When West Ham played Oxford, they did, and it kept happening, kept happening. By the end, uh, Roberto was walking around on the, in the goal line like he, like he won a contest. So, uh, you know, it's a matter of getting something early and then pushing on from that. They didn't. West Ham, you know, weathered the storm well. Tons of corner kicks for Gillingham, uh, which was extremely concerning. Um, but a lot of them were taken really poorly, and, and you know, we, we deflected those out and, and carried on. But a win is a win. Uh, as we said, Moises hasn't had all that much time with the squad. He certainly had doesn't have Mikel Antonio back, who was big for him in his previous stint here, and it has been great this season. Uh, and now he loses Ryan Fredericks, another right-sided attacker. Uh, they said four to six weeks on, or four to seven weeks on this one, uh, one to two months on a hamstring injury, soft muscle injury, which is always a concern. Uh, Scott, Ryan Fredericks isn't the best right back in the world. Some would say he's probably more of a right winger than he is a right back. But this is going to be something that has to be addressed in the transfer window immediately and, and even trumps or prioritizes over um, getting a new central midfielder in, correct? Yeah, I mean, it, basically, without Fredericks, we lose a hell of a lot of versatility. Um, 
whilst he isn't maybe the standard we want going forward, he's the mould as a player we're trying to pick. Like he's quick. Um, he will get back and up and down that um, that right hand side. He's willing to get uh, past his winger and help on the overlap. But I mean, I still think a central midfielder is super super important. Um, we just don't have the options we need right there uh, because of uh, Wilshire's injury. Uh, or just general existence in injury. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what his injury is at the moment. The it term just seems injury to be is even. You know, it, it, it's not even needed when you, you can just say his name because of Wilshire. Yeah. We know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do think we need something. We need cover for the end of the season. I, I mean, I, I would be in favour of us loaning a right back for till the end of the season, and then really addressing it in the summer, because I I think you can get really lost if you're not completely sure of your targets in January and we haven't been looking at right backs up until now so we'd be panic buying if we went out and spent money on one uh, I did hear some uh, some rumours of loans and I think that would probably be a good shout Yeah I agree I think that the big name that comes up is Nathaniel Klein from Liverpool he went to Bournemouth last year I think he was he got injured there he's been injured at Liverpool he's training right now um, but you know it's a sick note to cover a sick note basically and if not, you have Zabaleta. I think a lot of the the emphasis went elsewhere because Ben Johnson was assumed to be, you know, the number two, even ahead of Zabaleta this season, if need be. Um, but he's been injured all season as well. And, you know, it's a, it's a position that demands a ton of sprinting constantly almost. So uh, you can understand those issues there. But it just seems like such a West Ham thing to happen. Um, Max Aarons is apparently our, our target for right back. But... If Norwich are in a relegation battle, which they are, they're not going to sell one of their best players and most promising players for a cut price in the middle of the season. So, again, I, I'm with you, Scott. I think that that's a, a position that we have to look to fill in the summer and sort of just stopgap it now. Um, there was that Ajax right back who was supposedly linked with us in the summer. I can't think of his name. So, um, if, if any of you guys can think of it, let me know. But there's just there's a lot of areas to that West Ham need to really fill in on. Uh, Jeremiah, was there any names, uh, Lou, as well, that, that you are looking at or have heard for right-backs uh, to come in here outside of uh, outside of Nathaniel Klein? I know people are talking about a young right-back out of Derby. I can't, I'll can't. i look up his name here, but uh, have you guys heard of anyone else? Uh, Boyle is uh, Derby right-back. Mm, yes. Yes, that's someone. Yeah, other than that, it's been pretty, for me, I mean, you hear a lot about him and you hear a lot about Max Aarons and, I know there's the, uh, the not a right back, but the left back out of uh, Hertha Berlin. I think it's Max Middlestad. I think it's Maximilian Middlestad. He can play left and right. He's good. I know it was initially kind of something that was brought up, but I think it's just more Twitter rumor than anything. Uh, other than that, yeah, it's been quiet because, like you said, Scott, we weren't really looking at that, and that wasn't really part of the plan. And now, all of a sudden, it is and and Klein Klein's a good shout. It wouldn't be a bad pick to get him. Yeah. Sorry. Very quickly. Bogle, not Boyle. Um, oh. It's uh, I misread it before, but uh, yeah, he. Uh, I would be interested in Bogle, but he again, he's he's young, he's coming up. Uh, uh, most of what I know about him is from Football Manager, so very uh, <laughs> sketchy stuff here. Um, so it's, uh, I don't know if he's ready to come up to the Premier League straight away. He'd probably be spending some time on loan. I imagine uh, somewhere else, unless 
we were really short, but yeah, I, I would like like I think Klein would be a, a good shout because he, he's a he's a player with a lot of experience at the Premier League level. He's not gonna, you know, he's not gonna uh, be on the end of season highlight reels uh, or team of the season, but he will okay. offer something. Yeah, Lou, is there any names that pop up for you to fill that right back spot that you're thinking about? No, I just have to repeat the name Max Ahrens, but he's the only one I've seen, you know, properly, well, not even properly, but, you know, linked with us, you know, on social media and stuff, but I don't really have anyone in mind off the top of my head who could, who I could think of who could just come in and fill that void left by Fredericks, but, uh, you know, hopefully for now, if we don't bring anyone in. Zabaleta can use all his, all his experience and, you know, do a job for us until Fredericks come back, uh, hopefully, you know, fitter and stronger than before. And we, we do also have the players to sort of insulate, if we're playing a, a back four, to insulate Zabaleta. Like, if you think, if, if Mikel Antonio apparently is supposed to be in contention for the game on Friday, uh, if he comes back and is ready to go... You can start him on, uh, you know, as that second striker and move Felipe Anderson to the right side. That would push Snodgrass to the bench and, and keep Fornals out left as well as keep Lanzini on the bench. So you have the option of adding players that, you know, Mikel Antonio gets back really, really well because of his speed. And, and Felipe Anderson uh, has been really curtailed as an attacker to emphasize uh, work on his defensive side of the game. So we know he can track back as well. You can you can sort of stack that side with more skill and speed in order to to offset Zabaleta's pace, which is great in one direction. But when he has to stop and start over again, you're like, oh, yeah, he's he's 30, whatever, four or five years old. And you can kind of see that. Um, the name that I, that I saw was Joel Veltman, 27 years old. He would actually be a pretty good value buy, especially – um, with the rumor that he that, that West Ham are looking for a center back as well. This season, he's played in 27 matches. 21 have been at center back. Six have been at right back. And last season, I believe he, he split similarly. Um, he's 27 years old. He's Dutch. Uh, I think he wants to get away from, uh, from Ajax. He had a, a cruciate ligament rupture last year that kept him out for the majority of the start of the season. Um, but he played right back for 13 matches and center back for one. So he has that versatility on the back line that the club's been been, been missing since James Tompkins, really. So uh, uh, worth a good shout, and I wonder if those links will reappear now. If they do, you heard it here first. I'm your new insider, West Ham Veltman, talking about a potential deal here. Um, <laughs> well, if he has a history of injury, then he'd be absolutely perfect for us. You'd think he'd already be linked then, right? <laughs> it's crazy. That's, that's, our, that's our MO. Um, gentlemen, I want your thoughts on the... On the keeper controversy, West Ham are signing a backup keeper, which should spell the end of Roberto's dreaded time in East London. But there's been a hang-up. The West Ham Way podcast uh, has come out as we're recording this, and with it, the Twitter mentions are flowing in that there are concerns about Darren Randolph, who's been injured for two months, that he is not going to pass his medical, and there's concerns about that. Um, the signing was supposedly supposed to happen and be announced either today or early tomorrow. Uh, this may still be the case for early tomorrow, but he was not supposed to be fit until the end of January, which again puts the club in a tight position because if he's not fit, then you have an injured David Martin and injured uh, Randolph Fabianski, who's just coming back from a, a longer-term injury, and then you have one keeper above the age of 16 years old, who is Joseph Anang. So... 
That's a bit of a tricky one there. Do you, uh, I'll start with you, Scott. Were you all in on, on Darren Randolph coming back to the club? I know it's kind of boring, but did you support the move? Uh, yeah, I, I, this is January transfer window, I think, is a real hard time to get someone good because anyone like really um, exciting people don't want to sell halfway through the season. They don't because you worry about, you know, if they're going to get their full transfer value, that you want to use them for as long as you can. So Darren Randolph is a top professional. He has played for us before. He knows the club. He is a solid key. He's an international keeper. So if we're getting him as a backup keeper for four million, I think that's a really solid buy. Um, given that our other two options were... They, uh, Martin, who, whilst he performed well against Chelsea, still isn't like, a technically Premier League keeper. Uh, there were there are real deficiencies in his game. Uh, and then there's Roberto, who the the less we say about his actual keeping, the better, because it there, there was there was very little to complement it. Um, so yeah, I think bringing him in is a is a good move because uh, well. I understand worrying about if he's injured until not not fully fit until the end of January. Yeah, it's a risk, but are you going to get a more solid keeper than Randolph? Probably not. No, I say that's the thing. Like, you, if your backup your backup keeper is someone you want to be able to, you you'll put you gonna. Uh, if your main keeper's out, you want him to step up. Maybe not perform more than a six or seven out of ten, but do that every single time. You do not want a, a keeper that's going to perform a 9 out of 10 or a 1 out of 10. And I say Darren Randolph's an international player. He steps up. He's played uh, all through the uh, top two divisions. I think he's great. Yeah, and he has the familiarity with the club and with Premier League football. So I think there's there's definite bonuses there. Uh, Lou, are you yep. okay with the links with Randolph? Did you expect something different? Is there another name that you'd want us to pursue at that position? Uh, what are your general thoughts on filling that backup keeper spot? No, well, I personally wouldn't have minded, you know, just upgrading, you know, based off his performances so far, upgrading Martin to our number two until the end of the season. I know he's got a slight injury at the minute, but I don't think he's out for long, is he? Um, uh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, but, yeah, and then offload Roberto you know, now or the summer, but just as long as he doesn't play again, it doesn't really matter. But, uh, hopefully Fabianski won't be getting injured again anytime soon. Anyway, so hopefully we won't be put into the predicament of having to play a number two, whoever may that be, whether that be Randolph, Roberto or Martin, because, you know, Fabianski just gives the whole team that sense of, you know, security and confidence. And when he plays, we just play miles better. It's clearing our record earlier in the season and since he's come back. So, yeah, I wouldn't have minded Martin and staying as our number two. I think, you know, he's deserved it off because he's got two clean sheets in four games, which can't be sniffed at. And... Overall, I would have probably looked to bring someone else in the summer as a new number two, but Randolph, yeah, I mean, I, I liked him when he was here. 
obviously he was prone to a clangor as well, but which keeper bar Fabianski is not, who plays for West Ham. <laughs> so so I don't think it's totally necessary, but I wouldn't exactly be adverse to it. No, and you know you know what, like Randolph is gonna get the job done. I think a lot of people overlook the fact that because, you know, there was no links with them last year, that he was the Middlesbrough player of the year and was keeper of the a team of the season keeper for the championship. Um, so that's pretty impressive stuff, considering three teams you know, got promoted that, that season as well. Uh, and we've seen the likes of how good Dean Henderson is for, uh, for Sheffield this year. So there was stiff competition for that. The championship's an ultra-competitive league. We know that. Um, so I think you know getting a player that's coming back with a chip on his shoulder, apparently he wants to come back. These are all positive things with him. Um, me, personally, I, I like the link to Neil Etheridge uh, out of Cardiff City. He's younger, a little bit, 29, um, has international experience as well, and I think he's a better keeper overall, more athletic, I would say. But, uh, again, it's six and one half dozen. You're, you're not signing the next great keeper for West Ham. You're signing a backup keeper. So um, there's also rumors that Middlesbrough haven't fully paid out for Ashley Fletcher and for Randolph initially. So this deal, while it's quote-unquote £4 million, um, wouldn't cost us that because it would be canceling debts out. So who knows? I don't know. That's that's about my pay grade. Jeremiah, any final thoughts on the keeper? Are you okay with, with Randolph? And is there any other name that you wanted in instead of him? No, I think you guys said pretty much all of it perfectly. And I think that, uh, you know, with Randolph, I never really wanted him to, to see him go back when he did. I enjoyed his time here. I thought he did a really good job as a keeper. Uh, you know, he, he initially I think came on kind of as like an FA Cup keeper, and then he did so well. And then plus Adrian getting hurt that, you know, eventually he, you know, kind of made it his full time gig for a while. And it it'd be cool to see him come back. I do agree. You know, that Martin's kind of earned that slot when he comes back, and as long as he's healthy, Roberto, you know, that's that's nothing that you even want to see. You get nervous just seeing Roberto sitting on the bench. <laughs> I mean, oh, he stood yeah. up. He stood up at one point in time. I'm like, what are you? What are you standing up for, dude? Like, <laughs> you're not coming into this. Hopefully, uh, and so you have all this going on. As far as other keepers, you know, Net- Etheridge is a good choice. He's a solid dude, really in shape, really fit, and he's a big guy, which is kind of what you would wouldn't mind having in in between the pipes. But yeah, I think I think overall, that's it's kind of it. If it's if it's going to be a lot of money, I don't think you want to spend it at that position. Just you gotta kind of hope and pray that Fabianski stays healthy, and maybe you know if 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 Randolph's good, then we bring him in. But you know how West Ham is it of us to to try to sign a keeper that might be hurt and is currently still hurt, and we'll just add it to the list of other keepers that are already hurt. So yeah, that's kind of where I stand, and I don't know. We'll see what happens over the next couple of days, I guess. You know what? We're, I think you've summed it up perfectly there as well. It's so up in the air right now. There's all these injury concerns around him. He's a good keeper. We know this. He's injury prone. Mm-hmm. We know this. That's why it's a perfect West Ham fit. We know this. Um, so on that note, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we will chat about more transfer links and look ahead to the next games coming up. Okay, we are back. And with that, we are going to jump into <coughs> the next transfer rumor. Uh, that rumor is around the Portuguese youngster wonder kid, uh, Gedson Fernandez, supposedly a top-tier talent, falling out with the coach there at Benfica, and West Ham are looking to swoop in. Apparently, there's another team in, and, and all signs point to it being Everton. The deal is propo- supposedly an 18-month loan with a view to buy. His bio clause is £103 million. I think that's protection on uh, Luka Jovic-type deal. So... Regardless, West Ham 
look to have the inner lane here. Talks are said to have stalled today with him uh, based off of, of X and, and uh, is it Steinberg out, out of the Guardian uh, who basically said that, you know, talks have stalled as another team have upped their offer. Um, all signs point to West Ham having the inside track, though. He's, he's pals with Cardoso, uh, Mazake Ju, and uh, uh, Zande Silva in the youth team right now. He's 19 as well, so it all makes sense. So that would be a pretty strong core of Portuguese players as well, and we know that the under-23s train often with the senior team, so that could be another positive. And apparently his mother lives in London also. So, um, Lou, you're up, in, you're up in Liverpool area, so, you know, that's pretty far away from London. You wouldn't want to travel all that way to see your mother after coming all the way from Portugal. You might as well live in London. Um, Lou, I'll start with you as well. I called you out there anyways. Gedson Fernandez, had you heard of him prior to our links, and do you think he's the type of player West Ham should be prioritizing in uh, any transfer window? Yeah, I had heard of him, but if I said I'd seen him play, I would be completely and utterly lying. So in terms of that, I'm not really sure. I'm not really, you know, the man to go to, whether he would, you know, fix our midfield issues or whatnot. We do need someone, obviously, next to Declan, who can get up and down the pitch, who can defend and join in the attacks. Someone in the mould of uh, Decore of Watford, I've always thought over the last season, would be perfect at, you know, uh, for that role next to Rice that, you know, Noble hasn't got the legs for anymore. Well, I'm not sure if he ever did have the legs for it, but you know what I mean. But uh, in terms of Fernandez. I've only seen, you know, YouTube highlights since, you know, we've been linked. As I was curious to what he's like. And he seems quite good on the ball. He seems a good dribbler. He seems to manipulate the ball well and spread the ball well with his passing. But I'm not sure. I didn't really see much to do with his defensive side of the game during those highlights. As, you know, people obviously don't focus on that so much when putting a highlight reel together. But... You know, reports uh, on people who have seen him seem to rate him quite highly. So, you know, if the fee's right, I wouldn't. I would quite be quite excited to see him coming. Absolutely, there, Jeremiah uh, Fernandez or Sanderberg. Who are you going for in this window? It looks like Fernandez would be, as as mentioned, a loan to buy, and Berg would be a, a straight up buy. Berg probably being cheaper in the immediate, but could turn out to be more of a player. Again, Berg is 21 years old. Norway, he's playing for Genk, uh, and he's rumored to be costing anywhere between 15 million pounds to 20 million pounds. Who are you opting for as your number one choice? You know, it's tough because, you know, kind of like Lou said, I don't know a lot about either one. I know with Berg, Berg's been mentioned before. I think we've been linked with him before, but I do believe Berg's already had some knee surgeries and some knee injuries, so... You know, once again, that kind of comes into play with Fernandez. You know, I don't know much anything about him, so like a like a good podcaster that I am, I went and uh, transferred him in on FIFA and tried to play with him a little bit. <laughs> and uh, I'm kidding. He no, he did good though. Um, and and seem everything I've seen from him is good reports. One thing that is really neat, uh, I don't know if you guys saw it on Twitter today, but apparently he's pretty good friends with a couple of the guys that we have in our academy with Cardoso and Silva and a couple other people like that. So. There could be that kind of whole possibility there as far as uh, that kind of pulling him. And he's already got family that lives there, like you already mentioned. But he has some friends that he could possibly come over to play with. He's got a big name. I, I do think that he's fallen on our radar before. Possibly it's just a kind of a fake name to come out. But the fact that he 
both of them are so young. It's it's for me. I would go with Fernandez just because he doesn't have as much of the injury issue as Berg already seems to have. And at 21, a knee issue kind of scares me. I mean, you don't have to look any further than Lanzini or anybody else. But yeah, for me, I guess I would go with him. But yeah, not uh, not a lot of not a lot known other than what you've seen in highlight reels. And Scott, I want to come to you on the the last uh, name that links up with West Ham and midfield targets. Uh, if we fail on Fernandez, it looks like we'll be going for Berg plus Joe Allen. Uh, he is, I believe, 30 years old or 29 years old. Stoke City is fighting for their championship lives this season, and they need to raise some money, apparently. So Joe Allen is the link there. The old Welshman. Um, that name has seemingly pissed off just about everybody in the world <laughs> on social media when it's linked to West Ham. But I don't think he would be a bad option, especially if you take out Carlos Sanchez from the bench and put Joe Allen in. What are your thoughts on Allen, and in what circumstance would you link him to West Ham and be okay with it? Uh, interesting questions there, because I think, once again, January transfer window, weird time to really be doing these kind of deals. I think the big thing that we get, that the fans get really irritated by, is you go... Look at this young 20-year-old Portuguese, you know, dynamic, exciting, like popping up on. Uh, so like, if you just do a quick search of um, Getson Fernandes, you get like welcome to Manchester United, like YouTube videos and this kind of thing. He is linked with top clubs. Uh, Sander Berg is 21, I think, 2021 he is. Uh, again, he's got a decent transfer value. He's got people talking about him as a future player. Uh, top European player and then you've got Joe Allen and no disrespect to Joe Allen he he's a solid Premier League championship player he will put a shift in constantly and yeah I think he would do well as uh, him and Mark Noble sort of rotating around but when you're linked with those two first and then Joe Allen is thrown in you're sat there going which I thought we were trying to build for the future 20, 21 year old, uh, two 20 and 21 year olds, and then 29, 30. I was, I was surprised that he wasn't in his 30s, but we're not really building anything there. And it, I think that's the biggest frustration here is that if we'd said we're getting someone in to help us for the next couple of years, we don't think, um, yeah, we don't think we've got the options we need right now, but we need to help Mark Noble get through uh, and really. Um, uh, not have him as our only option next to Rice, um, then yeah, I think that would be fine. But when you're talking about our first choices of this, and then otherwise we're just going completely other end of the spectrum, it's a very strange time for, uh, for West Ham fans to just sort of lap it up. Um, and I think that's probably a little bit of mismanagement by uh, or a misunderstanding of how social media works by uh, the club, I think. Because I don't really understand that it's not just about what you're doing. It's about the perception of what you were going to be doing instead. Um, so I would love to see us bring in a young player. Uh, I can't say that I've seen too much of them. Again, my knowledge is limited. Purely off the fact that I tried to sign uh, Fernandez on a football manager and Liverpool beat me to him. And he's currently uh, tearing up the Premier League and scoring against me. So... Um, <laughs> Prophecy uh, is here. Precisely, it's 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 a case of that. But I'm looking at that going. Okay, so he's a young potential. Uh, 
the thing with like football manager or FIFA is that they obviously they do their own research, but they go off of reputations and this kind of thing. He's potentially exciting, and that's why the fan base gets excited, like because they don't know, they don't watch him week in week out. They're going off of the hype. Joe Allen doesn't have any hype around him. Uh, he's been playing in the championship for Stoke. He's not had like people clamouring to have him. So yeah, it's it's a tough time to really uh, manage your social media expectations coming into January. Makes you wonder if when David Moyes was uh, not picked up and, and Pellegrini was brought in, if if Joe Allen would be a West Ham player already. You never know. Uh, Jeremiah, Joe Allen, yes or no in any circumstance? Yeah, I mean it's probably gonna piss a lot of people off, but I would I would be all right with it. You know, like Scott, we've all said a little bit. It's it's January. You bring somebody in, and you don't have to look very far back. You look at Robert Snodgrass. When he came in, everybody was extremely upset. It was why are we bringing this dude in? He's not going to amount to anything, and he's played well. Joe Allen, he's a professional. He's not a name that comes out, and he's not going to be there long term. But maybe right now, where we are. Look, we're already kind of taking a hit on this whole next-level plan. No offense to Moyes, but going back on Moyes and bringing him in, what, we, what West Ham need to do right now is focus on obviously not getting relegated. They need to focus on getting, you know, moving up in the Premier League, trying to finish top 10 if that's at all possible, but just keeping, you know, keeping safe and keeping out of the bottom three. So if, if bringing in Allen is going to be the potential to be better than Sanchez, is going to be the slot that can come in and play for Noble when he can't play all the time and, maybe make it a pretty similar, you know, they're almost the same exact person, then why not? And it's going to be less money as well. I think if you can bring in him and then the likes of either Berg or the likes of Fernandez, if you can get both of them, it's great. But, yeah, I'm definitely not, like, just sitting solely on no for, for Joe Allen just because of how old he is and the reputation he might have. He can still do good things. Completely agree. I think if he's in, in addition to one of those two players that would be a really strong signing, either one, Fernandez or Berg, I, I don't care. Um, mm. I think that that's a solid move and a good depth move for the team. you got to figure he's going he's gonna to up the level of intensity and training as well because he's fighting for his Premier League life if he'd be back here. So you never know. Right. Uh, let's jump to a Hammers Polls question here. Um, we'll go Scott, Lou, and then Jeremiah to end it off. Uh, which of these four players, which one of these four players would you like to see at West Ham when the January transfer window shuts? Joe Allen, Victor Wanyama, Gabriel Barbosa, or Gedson Fernandez? Scott, who do you have out of those four? Uh, that's interesting. I like Wanyama, but uh, he would play a very similar position to Rice. So I think I'd go with, I'd, I'd go with Fernandez. I think, uh, I think he's got a lot going forward, uh, future-wise. Lou, who do you got out of those four? You know, in terms of excitement, I'd go for Barbosa, but in terms of reality and what we need, I'd agree and go for Fernandez. And uh, Jeremiah, out of those four, who are you picking? Yeah, I'm going to Bar- Barbosa, man. Bring in, uh, I think, what's his nickname? Gabby Goal. Bring him in. Let's uh, put two at the top and go for this. Love it, love it. I, I would go with Fernandez. I think he's more of a needed position, but, you, you know, Barboza, I don't know. There's been lots of talk. He's been killing it for Flamengo. I don't know. Um, okay, uh, the last bit of transfer talk I want to talk about with you guys is the potential signing of a striker, and Gabriel Barbosa is the main one that we've been linked with. Lou, do you see him as a fit for the Premier League? He didn't cut it at Milan, uh, at Inter Milan, I believe. Uh, and now it looks like he's 
excelled over the Brazilian league and maybe the Premier League is the spot for him now that he's aged on. Do you think he's a good fit for us here? Yeah, I mean, obviously he played with Anderson when they were both younger in the youth team at Santos, I think it was. So obviously he has connections to us already. Um, and since he's left Milan, he seems to have upped his game, albeit in a relatively weaker league compared to the Europe top five leagues. But everyone deserves you know, another chance. And if we're to give him that, then you know, it would be... It would look quite an exciting signing, and yeah, we'd I'd get fully behind him. Now, Scott, you're our resident. I don't know. You're the you're the initial Englishman on this podcast, uh, so I gotta think that you have a soft spot for English players, and you may be able to see where this question's going. Uh, QPR won 5-1 in the FA Cup with two goals coming from yes. Lord Jordan yes. Hugel. <laughs> Would you push the links and, and potential payment of Gabigol aside, recall our Lord and Savior Jordan Hugel, and then prioritize on a central midfield position, or would you try and you know finagle loan deals on both positions instead? Yeah, as much as I have a soft spot, potentially for you know players of my home nation and i'm all for a trier and a worker um i don't think jordan Hugo is going to be improving the west ham side in any way uh i'm still confused as to what's happened to uh atleti uh al jetty um he's just sort of fooling around a bit. I don't. I, I want to see a bit more of him before I make. I wanted to see more of him before I made a decision on any striker. I think if you're looking at bringing in a striker, they have to offer something different to Ale. Uh, I would like someone maybe who just has you know pace as their outright outright weapon. Um, but yeah. Uh, I, I still think we need a central midfielder before we need a striker, but I don't. I'm not keen on bringing Hugo back. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Jeremiah, do you, do you think we should prioritize the midfield, or should we look to add another striker in? Uh, Scott touched on it there. Same with Lou Pryor, but I want to know what you think. Uh, just as a as a set of. Uh, you know boundaries here. We have Alaire, who's the the you know the de facto starter. Mikel Antonio is coming back. A Yeti Jetty's on the bench hasn't been used, and Felipe Anderson's looked pretty natural playing up top alongside uh, Sebastian Alaire. So, do you think we need another one in here? It would probably realign the squad depth chart, but um, do you think the priority needs to be elsewhere first? Yeah, you know, as much as I said going out and getting Gabby goal, I think that uh, midfield's still a priority, and it needs to be. And it just uh, it's something that we're lacking on right now. I mean, we have two, three solid guys that can play in there at any point in time, but you can't sit and depend on that because injuries are going to happen. Slumps are going to come into play. It, it's tough, though, because, too, like you said, with the striker position, we have a couple of names up there. I mean, true strikers, we have, like, two. Uh, so that that's a that's an issue when you look at actually bringing people in. You might want to do that. Possibility, you know, I don't know how much money we're willing to spend and how much money is actually going to the board's going to give up for this, but... You can bring in both. Sure, that's a perfect world. But I guess to answer your question, I think midfield something that we still need to look at. But the need is definitely there for both because it's 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 an ever growing problem for sure. 
Uh, and we'll we'll jump back into another hammers pulls question here. Uh, before the pl- the club can bring in any more foreign players, we'll need to offload some. With Sanchez and Roberto likely to be released or moved on from, which overseas player would you like the club to sell in order to help boost the coffers to ensure they can bring in some fresh faces? Lanzini, Diop, Mezuaku, or Ajedi? Um, Ajedi, I think you can put a star beside. He's played for us and also for uh, Basel, so I don't know if he can be moved on. Um, but for argument's sake, we'll leave him in there. Uh, Jeremiah, who, who do you have? Uh, who, who's got your vote on that list? So same too with the Jetty. I think that we haven't seen. Or I'm sorry, a Yeti. I'm sorry. However, we're going with this. Uh, I don't think that we've seen enough of him yet, and it's not really the opportunity that you know he's had. So I'm not really on selling and getting him out of here. Might ruffle some feathers, but uh, I'm kind of on the whole Lanzini outtrend. I think that he, man, what a what a kind of figure he's been for this club. He's got his own song. He's got a lot of love, and he's a great dude, it seems like, anyway. But I just, time and time again, he, he's got some of his, of his attacking game coming back, and you can see that, and that's good. But for me, he doesn't challenge enough. Anytime there's a 50-50 ball, he doesn't even go up for it. Uh, it seems like the challenging's there. That a lot of question marks are still there as far as injuries and coming in and that coming out. Is he big enough? Is he physical enough to play in the Premier League? So I guess might ruffle a little feathers, but as far as those names go, yeah, we'll go with Lanzini and see if we can't get a little bit for him as well. Lou, Lanzini, Diop, Mazuaku, or Jetty, who are you moving on from to raise some money? Yeah, if we got... Yeah, it could be controversial, but like Jeremiah, if we got a high enough transfer fee for Lanzini. Uh, no, I, I'm not really sure what to quote for that, but if we got a decent amount of money, then I would possibly think about accepting it based on some of the reasons Jeremiah just said. And I don't know. I just I just get a funny feeling and impression with Lanzini that he's not really that happy here anymore. I, I don't know if that's just me being paranoid, but when he plays on the pitch... He used to play with a smile on his face, and in terms like terms of when we used to score goals, he used to be really happy. Now he just kind of looks subdued and not really with it. And I don't know whether that's, you know, like I say, me just being a little bit paranoid and skeptical. But that's just the impression I get. And ever since he's come back from his injury, obviously he's not been the same player. I think, like you say, he's been ducking out of challenges and he's not really full, fully going gung-ho. Probably because he got that major injury and he wants to avoid you know, being out for a full year again. And his confidence is clearly lacking in his game. And I'm not really sure whether he'd be in my first 11 at the minute with Antonio to come back, Anderson regaining form and Fernals you know, kick on on every week. So I'm not sure whether he would be happy being benched, you know, as we head into the future. Yeah, it's it's tough to argue with that as well. The depth is in that position for sure. Uh, Scott, who are those four are, are you moving on from? I think it's an interesting one because I think if you, you look at it in a couple of ways, so Diop's going to fetch you the highest fee. So if you're after money, uh, that's the one you go for. But he's also got the highest future value. 
I think for us, he's still young. He's centre back. He's played for years. Um, he's been linked with top teams uh, anyway. I don't think you need to rush that in a January sale. Uh, if someone comes in with a crazy offer because it's January and the Premier League has just weird amounts of money, uh, then maybe. Um, Masuaku, uh, we need a replacement for. So unless we had someone in there coming in, I would be worried about it. Uh, as I said earlier, I don't think we've seen enough of Adledi to really make that decision and I still think we need something different up front so having him there is always a good option but um, yeah I think out of those the one you're probably going to get the most money for and not see a massive hit on our squad's ability is Lanzini he's not as uh, the others have touched on he's not uh, really recovered from his uh, injury uh, in a mental way Um, he's doesn't seem to put himself about. Uh, I think you could look at selling him to the Spanish league or maybe the French league um, where it's just not as physical all the time and that he would he would flourish there. But I, I don't know if he if his value is best for us uh, going forward. So if, if you had to sell one of them or look to sell one of them, I think Lanzini would probably be your best bet. Yeah, I picked Lanzini when I voted on this as well. Uh, I think if you're going to move on from him in the next two to three seasons, you might as well do it now and try and get a little bit more money out of the deal anyways. Um, But again, you brought up a good point, Scott, about Diop, but it it translates to this as well. There's no need to sort of push for this deal to happen right now. Unless he's, you know, wanting out of the team, then then I would say get rid immediately. But as far as it, it goes right now, West Ham can reassess in the end of the uh, end of the season and see exactly where we're at and what we need and who is expendable at that point. Um, the last Hammers Polls question we'll hit up here uh, is uh, West Ham have uh, two matches coming up against Sheffield United and a home game against Everton. How many points do you think they're going to pick up in these next two matches? Six points, three to four, uh, or one to two, or zero points. Jeremiah, what do you got for this one? How many points are you putting on West Ham here in the next two matches? Yeah, I think we're going to see... I'm going to keep it kind of relatively basic and say anywhere from the three to four range. Uh, Sheffield, we didn't play well against them last time, obviously. We let them kind of come back, and obviously the goal, the goal they let in wasn't good. The goalkeeper we have in now shouldn't let in a goal like that. I think, too, that the performances that we've seen in the last two weeks, now granted it's just two weeks, but it's better than what we've seen against Sheffield, so... I think that can be a one that we can take easily. Everton's going to be tough. Everton's going to be, I think it's another tough match. And now that they kind of got that new manager bump, like you were talking about with us, it's it's, it's going to be kind of a, a heads-up game. And I think that if we can get out of there with a result and end up with four points over the next two weeks, and that's a pretty good success. Lou, are you betting us on, Are you betting the Hammers to win two games or something fewer than that? Ooh. Uh... I'll go with a pessimistic three. I think we'll beat Everton, but I think we might lose to Sheffield this coming Friday just because, not particularly because I'm doubting us at the minute. I'm just really impressed by Sheffield this season. It's a really hard place to go for any team. And, yeah, I think they might just overcome us on the day, but I think we will go into the Everton match back at home again and I think we'll come out on top against them I mean if you saw them against Liverpool 
on Sunday. If they put any kind of performance like that again, then we'll have no problem with beating them. Believe me, they were absolutely atrocious. And, you know, uh, a lot of Everton fans aren't, aren't happy with things at the moment, despite getting Ancelotti in. So things are still a bit uncertain there, despite, you know, that obviously major appointment. So I'll go with three points. And Scott, where are you putting us for these next two matches points-wise? Uh, well, it's an interesting one because I think, to be honest, if we get in isolation, I'd say uh, a draw away from home against the Sheffield United side that are looking very good and a draw at home against Everton aren't the, isn't the worst thing. Uh, so I, I do think we're probably looking at beating one of them, but if we get two points... And, you know, David Moyes has had his thing. But the worrying thing is, is that, you know, I'm looking at those two in isolation going, oh, yeah, so they're tough matches. But then in like four matches, everything <laughs> gets really scary. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then we have like Liverpool City, Liverpool, uh, Liverpool again, Arsenal, Spurs, Chelsea in the string of about eight matches. So in terms of what I think we'll get, it's much less than what I think we need, uh, given the run of matches that are coming up. I think three points would be good. Uh, I think we've got to be realistic. Um, David Moyes isn't going to have a completely different side. Uh, but I think we, we've got the ability to beat both of them. So I think the full range of points is on offer here. I, I wouldn't be surprised with anything. <laughs> Completely agree with that. It's completely up in the air. Everton, like you said, are not settled under Ancelotti just yet. Sheffield are, I think, over-exceeding expectations. Well, obviously are, but I don't know. I wouldn't say they're overperforming, but it's probably at an unsustainable level. Um, West Ham can perhaps nick a point away and then look to, to beat Everton. And you know Moyes is going to go for it in that Everton match. Uh, it, it'll be you know a home game. He'll have more time under his belt. And you know that there may be... A new player in the squad at that point in time even if it is a new right back that you, that you're trying out or a backup keeper that's getting in there also something i forgot to mention about randolph i believe he's cup tied to middlesbrough so progressing in the fa cup would mean that fabianski would be our cup keeper and randolph would probably take league matches in that stretch of time to take over for him so that's an interesting fold anyways um yeah i, I would say three to four points mm-hmm. but as scott said in isolation two points would be good because you're not losing Hopefully you're not conceding a lot in those games. And, and also um, you can push on from those two things. So uh, with that, I think we're, we, we will look to end the episode here. We want to leave everyone uh, wanting more, as always. Sheffield's coming up. Um, we'll have our prediction piece out. We'll have our predicted lineup out for that game as well. We have no insider knowledge, so that is a complete guess, as it always is. I believe I am like one for 20-something on the season on that, so... It's been a, a terrific waste of time, but nonetheless, I enjoy doing it. Glutton for punishment, we'll say. Um, for everyone here at, at uh, Green Street Hammers, we thank you for listening. And of course, come on, you all.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.